Welcome back to AD 79, Year of Vesuvius, episode 31. We need to talk about Vesuvius. Since that eruption is the most memorable event of the year, it's important that we get a few things right. For starters, that it actually happened in AD 79. As questions go, that's not completely out to lunch. There's a lot of dating in ancient times that cannot be settled with certainty. That earthquake I've mentioned from time to time, the one in AD 62, it might be AD 63, depending on if you believe the manuscript traditions of Seneca or of Tacitus. And neither of those gentlemen have a date or even a year for Vesuvius. Seneca gets a pass. He was dead as of AD 65. Tacitus almost certainly did write about it, but that part of his histories is missing. We rely, therefore, on the Roman history of Cassius Dio. Cassius Dio was a Greek writer who composed an extensive history of the Roman enterprise around the year A.D. 207-209. What we have instead is a sort of Reader's Digest condensation of the so-called epitome Two, in fact, by two different editors, cutting the work down in the 11th and 12th centuries. Dio has no hard dates, but mentioned the eruption right after discussing events in Britain. Basically, Agricola doing his thing, as mentioned in an earlier episode. After which events, Titus received the title Imperator for the 15th time, which gets us to AD 79. More on that in a moment. He also writes that a great blaze suddenly flared up at the very end of summer. Cassius Dio can get a bit fanciful, more on that in a later episode, but this time frame at least seems reasonable, although the nitpicky will note that the ancient cutoff marks between seasons were not quite as fixed as they are in modern times, and autumn could begin as early as late July to late September, depending on who was doing the figuring and where. Still, his account agrees with the letters of Pliny the Younger, this Pliny being the nephew of the elder Pliny, Vespasian's old friend, the author of the natural history and admiral of the fleet at the Bay of Naples. The younger Pliny was staying with his uncle at the time, and later wrote two letters to his friend Tacitus, who wanted some eyewitness stuff on the event in question. Pliny writes that the whole affair began on the noons before the calends of September, that is to say, August 24th. Or so the record states. Is there room for doubt? We're dealing with the age before the printing press. Manuscripts breed more manuscripts, and like photocopy machines and games of telephone, original texts can change depending on the individual scribe, who may be sleepy, or clumsy, or careless, or mischievous, or who thinks he knows better than the copyist from whom he is copying. Combine that with the tendency of handwriters to take the odd shortcut, to use abbreviations rather than to write something out in its entirety, when everyone knows what the author intended. This is a particular hazard for numbers and dates. You can see where the confusion might arise. And as arisen in the case of Pliny's letters, 
The originals were written and published in the early 2nd century. The text, texts rather, plural, that have come down to us derived from two sources, one the nine-books edition, the other a ten-book edition. The extra book contains letters written to and from Pliny to the Emperor Trajan when Pliny needed advice on how to govern the province of Bithynia and need not interest us here. Scholars date the ten-book family to a fifth-century original, presumably, let us stress presumably, unchanged from Pliny's original work. Most of this original was lost in the 14th or 16th century. A few pages are left at the Pierpont Morgan Library, but not before copies were made. Bunches of copies. We're still talking pre-Gutenberg for most of this, and remember what I said about copyists above. The nine-book family is something of a hodgepodge, some books in their entirety, some taken from quotations from other writers. By way of comparison, imagine every collected edition of Shakespeare vanishing tomorrow. You would still be able to cobble together a good portion of his entire works from the quotations, short and long, found in other writers' works. The reliability of the text can be argued and has been. Bottom line is that by the end of the Renaissance, we find the problematic variations on how the date was written. Some said August, some said October. Big difference. And by 1791, there were printed copies with the conflicting dates. A puzzler. The puzzle was apparently solved in 1793 by one Carlo Maria Rossini, who is excavating the ruins of Herculaneum, where he noticed remains of chestnuts, figs, raisins, pine cones, and dates, foodstuffs associated more with autumn than summer. He also saw braziers with signs of recent burning, and a rug on the floor. Sensational! A smoking gun! Pliny, or his copyists, at least the ones who wrote August 24th, clearly got it wrong. All this cold-weather stuff clearly pointed to an October date. Not surprising, really. If one copyist got it wrong, then so did everyone who followed. Easy mistake to make. Could have happened to anyone. The theory convinced many who took an interest in such things, but failed to convince everyone. Braziers keep one warm on cold nights, but are also useful for cooking food. As to the rugs on the floor, where else would a rug be found? No, no, other corroboration was wanted. Wanted and found, most recently in 2018. That year, new excavations in Bombay turned up a graffito inside a house, which read, On the 16th day before the calends of November, October 17th, they, whoever they are, took something in the Olive Room storerooms. The medium was charcoal, and archaeologists thought that anything that fragile would not have lasted as long as a year, ergo it must be referring to A.D. 79. From the look of things, the room was under renovation, and the workers had left it and no one had time to erase the offending graffito. Of course, the renovation scenario is not clear-cut, and in any event... If you have ever known anyone in Italy whose damaged house is undergoing renovation, 
you will appreciate that the process can take years. Bear in mind that Pompeii has yet to recover from the devastation of the earthquake of AD 62. Or was it AD 63? And charcoal does not necessarily drop off, not if it is protected from the elements, as this graffito was and is. Nor is a household necessarily going to clean up a place before the work is done, if indeed work was being done. People get accustomed to minor imperfections in their houses. They mean to get around to correcting them, but life has other plans. Okay, what else have you got? Some garum found in Pompeii seems to support the traditional date in August because the particular fish from which it was made were most plentiful in summer. Fair enough. The garum came from the house of Scarus, and it seems unlikely that that professional would let product hang around past its sell-by date. The man had a reputation to maintain. What about those fruits and vegetables? Walnuts possibly a year old, but pomegranates? Well, there are pomegranates and pomegranates. Some ripen in October or even November, others at the end of August. The same can be said of other green grocer specialties. Evidence is inconclusive. Okay, then, hard evidence in hard currency. A silver denarius turned up in the house of the Golden Bracelet in 1972. The so-called Capricorn denarius, featuring Titus, his tribunician power of the, for the ninth time, his imperator title for the fifteenth time, his consulate for the seventh time, and his pater patriae, a father of his country. You'll recall how, by citing the fifteenth time imperator award, Cassius Dioscatos to the year 8079, the pulse begins to quicken. The more so when these scholars recalled two extraneous citations of Titus being called Imperator for the 15th time, one of them a bronze letter from the people of Munija in Spain, dated September 7, 8079, the other being a military discharge paper from Egypt, dated September 8, 8079. Any coins found in Pompeii would therefore have to post a date September 8th. Surely this. Surely not, according to Richard Abdi, who works the ancient coins in the British Museum and who knows what there is to know on the subject. He examined the coin in question in 2012, comparing it with a known copy at the British Museum, and concluded that it was in dismal condition but that it was more likely to be the twin of a known coin listing Titus as Imperator for the 14th time. Full marks for trying, but keep on looking. Which is the point here. Had the coin been solid, and clear, and clean, or if another does turn up in unsuspicious circumstances, well, that would change things rather, would it not? And it could happen, in theory. There's a lot of space that Vesuvius covered up that is yet to be uncovered. Which leaves us with, currently, a preponderance of evidence for August 24th, or, if that's too precise, sometime in late summer. Does it matter? In the grand scheme of things, no, of course not. That said, I'm holding off on discussing the fireworks until October. 
It's a cheat, I get it, but it's a better fit for the 12-month dramatic narrative arc I'm aiming at. Act 3 or 4 needs to be closer to the end, which means we're firing that rocket in October. Se non è vero e ben trovato, as the Italians say, if it's not true, it's a good story. So don't quote me in your term papers, not on this issue. If you or your AI buddy are writing a term paper, I would refer you to Pliny and the Eruption of Vesuvius by Peter Foss, P-E-D-E-R-F-O-S-S, which is the current academic standard for all the matters under discussion today. He's an August 24th guy, and it's hard to argue with him. It's pretty much the last word on the subject, at least for now. As of this writing, he's to be found on the internet, which is good, since the book is not cheap, and not a lot of libraries have a hard copy. So, on to the next episode. September has begun and deserves some respect. A programming note. The same unexpected outside obligations, some good, some not, that have squelched my August, are hovering over my September. I'll try to make up for lost time, but no promises. I hope and expect to get back on schedule sooner rather than later, uh, certainly before fall. Until next time, thank you for listening.